Well, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, we'll continue, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. And Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. He is the Son of God who has come to be the sacrifice and substitute for the sins of the world. In fact, we think about it, he is the Savior and Messiah, and all who believe in him have eternal life. We are seeing the ministry of Christ. He's in the northern part of Israel. He's around the Sea of Galilee. And as we get into chapter 7, there are four key events that we're going to see. It'll take us a couple of weeks to go through them. They all come together, and the idea is to show the authority of Jesus, that he is the Savior, that he is the Messiah. He shows his authority over sickness and death and doubt and even the authority to forgive sins. Last time we saw that Jesus healed this centurion servant from a long distance. He just showed his authority. And this morning, there are really two more areas I want you to see see him. Two more areas. One we're going to see is authority over death and then his authority over doubt. We're going to see a widow and her son dies, the death of her son. She's completely by herself and we're going to see what Jesus does. We're going to see he has authority over death. And then John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is the famous, you know, the famous one, the forerunner, the Messiah. He's in prison and we see his doubts. And, and the question that we'll see as we look at it and you can study this on your own, do we think he's really doubting? What's going on there? And we'll see it as we go through it. As we look at this, we get a good look at our Savior and may we be excited as we see the one who loved us, the one who died for us and rose again, and the one who gives us eternal life simply as a gift by faith. Well, here's a question that just to think about. Who is Jesus Christ? Because several years ago, Time Magazine, on the front page, who is Jesus? They had a picture of Jesus. I don't know where they got a picture of him. But anyway, they had this picture of Jesus. And uh, he's on the front page, and it says, who is Jesus? And, and the article talked about he's known worldwide. He lived 2,000 years ago. And then even in the article, it said, and some consider him the most important person who ever lived. Who is he? And the question would be for each person to deal with. Who is Jesus Christ? Some would say this. Some would say, well, he's a teacher, a great teacher. He was wise and he taught truth. He was a great teacher. Others would say, no, no, he was a prophet. He, he was sent from God and he came with this message. Some would say he was a good man. He went around, the Bible says he went around doing good, and so he was a good man. Some say, no, 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 he was example. Because we look at his life and, and we see what he did. In fact, some people even say, let's get bracelets and say, what would Jesus do? Because that's, that's how he lived. We want to follow that example. And finally, some would say, no, he's the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, the one who came to die on the cross and pay for sin, the one who rose again, the one who gives eternal life simply by faith. So here's the question, who do you think Jesus is? Is he the Savior? Is he the Messiah? Is he the one sent from God? Is he the one that gives you eternal life simply by faith? Well, this morning we're looking briefly at this passage because we see John the Baptist is raising his questions. He's in prison. He begins to have doubts, or that's the question. Is he beginning to have doubts? And he sends two men to Jesus, and he says, "Are you?" ask Jesus, are you the coming one? Are you the one? Or should we look for somebody else? So is Jesus, I mean, is John doubting? This is the man who baptized Jesus. This is the man who pointed to people and said, there's Jesus. See, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What's going on? How could he doubt? Do we doubt? What does Jesus tell him? And where do we go and what do we do when we doubt? Well, this morning we're going to look at several key events that will help us as we think about our Savior. Now, we realize that we all, and realize and understand that we all need a Savior, that Jesus died and rose again, giving us eternal life simply by faith. He has paid for sin and conquered death. Now, in this passage, this section, it's 50 verses, chapter 7, is 50 verses, and it has four events in it. 
It has where he has, shows his authority over sickness because he heals the centurion slave. It shows his authority over death as he raises the widow's son who has died. It shows that he has authority over doubt as he deals with the questions of John the Baptist. And then finally it shows his authority to forgive sin as we see him with the sinful woman and the proud Pharisee. In fact, let me break this passage down for you. 7, 1 through 50. 1 through 10 is the disease. We saw that last week. The centurion slave was sick. Jesus from a distance took care of that. This morning, 11 through 17, the death. The widow's son has died. We'll talk about that. 18 through 35 is the doubt. That's John the Baptist and what's happened and what does he say about John the Baptist. And then the last part is 36 through 50. It's where this sinful woman comes into the home of a Pharisee where Jesus is eating and we see what happens there and Jesus forgives her sins and we see his authority. So it's powerful. Now, let me remind you last time, the first event was about the first ten verses. This centurion, who was a Roman soldier, who, who sent some people to Jesus and said, I, I've got a, my slave is about to die, I know you can do it. In fact, he said, I'm not even worthy for Jesus to even come to my house. I'm not even worthy for Jesus to even look at my face. But I know Jesus has all authority. And all he has to do is just say the word, and the man will be healed. And when Jesus heard that message... He turned to the crowd and said, I have not seen such great faith in all Israel. Now, it doesn't tell us what happened there. All it says is the guys went back and the man was well. It doesn't say Jesus said anything. If you go to the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus actually said, okay, he, he'll be well. And by the time they got back, he was well. So Jesus has authority over sickness and, and disease. Now we move to a very powerful event we're going to see jesus and his authority should be the next slide his authority over death and that's these 11 through 17 i want you to see what happens look at verse 11 soon afterwards he went to a city called nain and his disciples were going along with him accompanied by a large crowd now literally in the greek it says in the next that's all it says it's translated in English, this is the New American Standard, says soon afterwards. Some believe it may be even the next day, that when he said in the next, he meant like in the next day this event happened. We don't know. But our Bible says soon afterwards, soon after he healed the centurion's slave, it said that he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now, the city name was a little bitty town. It was about 25 miles from Capernaum. Now, he's been mostly around Capernaum, around the Sea of Galilee. He goes 25 miles. In fact, this town is south of Nazareth where he grew up. The name of the town means lovely or pleasant. So if you said Nain, you'd be saying, my town, it's a, it's a lovely town. It's a pleasant town. Now, watch. It says, soon after he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now, we're going to see that when it says disciples, it doesn't mean the twelve. See, anyone who has believed in Jesus and then is following him is often called a disciple. And those twelve men that Jesus chose had different names. He even called those, it says he chose twelve of his disciples and called them apostles. So they were different than disciples. Disciples are one who believed in Jesus and followed him. These apostles were the 12 men who were chosen by Jesus to do certain things. So he's got those people with him. But notice what else it says. It says, and they accompanied him, by, and coming with him was a large crowd. It seems to me that wherever Jesus goes, a crowd follows. I mean, Jesus can start going someplace, and all these people are following him. So here he is, deciding to go to Nain, and as he's going, he's got his men, followed by a whole bunch of disciples, followed by this big crowd. Why would they follow him? Well, the truth is, some people believe that he's the Messiah. There are people who would say, why are you with Jesus? I, I think he's the, the Messiah of Israel. He's the one we've waited for. 
Others would say, well, if you hang around long enough, he'll feed you. I mean, he would, because he feeds people, and he's done miracles, and we want to see some of the things that he does. We have seen that there were people who were sick, and they got well. We've seen those kind of things. Also fallen, I'm sure, were religious leaders. These religious leaders were not wanting to be fed, and they were not believing in him. What they really wanted to do was to confront him. We know that as we further we get into the ministry of Jesus, that these religious leaders, they're trying to trick him. They don't like him. They despise him. Uh, he makes them look bad. He speaks with authority. They do not speak with authority. He claims to be the Son of God. They have rejected him. And if they could, if they could figure out a way to make him look bad or do something wrong, they would do it. So there's this large crowd Now, look what happens, verse 12. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. Now, he was approaching the city, the gate of the city. Some cities were big cities, bigger cities, and they had gates and walls all the way around them. Some cities that were smaller, that didn't have walls around them, had usually some kind of archway that was called the gate of the city. And when people would come in and out of the city, they'd usually go through the archway, even though there weren't walls around it. And this is also where the leaders or the elders of the city would meet, and they would do business. So they're coming. Jesus is coming with this big crowd behind him. They're coming to the archway, because Nain was a small city. They're coming to this gate of the city. And about the time they're coming to the gate of the city, a whole bunch of people are coming out of the city. Notice it says... As he approached the the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. So Jesus is coming with a crowd going into the city, and these people are bringing out a dead body, followed by a big crowd coming out of the city. I I look at it this way. There's, There's one crowd, one sad, and one's happy. One has sadness and death, the other has joy and life. See, the ones with Jesus, they've been fed, they've been seeing things, they've seen miracles, they're all following Jesus and they're happy. But coming out of this town is a woman who just lost her only son. And she doesn't have a husband either. Doesn't have anybody. I call it the clash of the two worlds, the life and the death. Jesus, the life giver, is going into a place where there's death. Now the dead man, it says that uh, a dead man was being carried out, and, and most likely, the best we can tell from the culture... That when a person died, that the, the moment they died, they laid them out, they washed the body, they wrapped them up, they put them on like a, like a stretcher. Because when it says coffin in a minute, don't think coffin like our coffins with you know the lid and all of that. They're laying him out on a stretcher, and they're going to carry him out of the city and bury him. That's the plan. So here he is. It says that they were bringing out this dead man was being carried out. So his body's been prepared. It's sorrow. Death brings sorrow. There are a lot of sad people. He gives us some information. He says this was the only son of his mother. This is the only boy she has, and he's dead. And then it goes on to say that she was a widow. She didn't have a husband. Now, I want you to understand, in that culture, to not have a husband or a son was really bad. Because what happened is that a woman, if her husband were to die, she was then referred to as a widow. Now, there's also a widow indeed, but she was referred to as a widow. And what would happen to her is that if she didn't have a husband, she said, well, who's going to take care of her? Well, if she had sons, her sons were required. They were supposed to take care of her. Now, if a woman had her husband die and she had no sons, she was known as a widow indeed because she had nobody to take care of her. 
her. So coming out of this town is this woman who has lost her husband, and now she's lost her only son. So if you talk to anybody and you'd say, how's that lady going to make it? They'd go, well, no, she doesn't have anybody to take care of her. I mean, that's, it's just a real bad time for her. So it says that she was the, he was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. She has left with no support. And I'm going to tell you that people would say, you know, this is pretty much a hopeless situation. There's nobody to take care of her. You'd say, well, it says this large crowd's coming out with her. Everybody in that town probably loves her. Well, sure, it's a small town. They all know her. But you know what happens. Two or three days after everything, everybody goes back doing their normal things. Who's going to take care of this widow? Indeed. Well, the old saying here, Jesus is about to come to a funeral. And what does he do at the funeral? E. Stanley Jones was a famous missionary. And uh, early in his ministry, someone died and they came up to him and said, Would you conduct the funeral? He had never conducted a funeral before. So he said, Oh, I'll do it. He said, Well, you know, I better go to the Bible. I don't know how to do a funeral. So let me go to the Bible and see how Jesus conducted a funeral. Huh. Well, he, you figured it out. He came and he found out Jesus didn't conduct any funerals. Every time Jesus came to a funeral, he raised them from the dead. This is what's going to happen here. As we look at this passage, two things stand out. Jesus and his compassion and Jesus and his authority. Put yourself there. You can put in either group. What if you were Jesus? You're one of the twelve. You're one of the disciples. You're hanging around with Jesus and you're happy. And about the time you get to the gate, you look up and you go, Oh, my gracious, there's a funeral coming. There's, there's a dead man. Don't touch it. Don't touch Because if you touch it, what happens to you if you touch it? You become unclean. You don't want to become unclean as a Jewish person because then you have to go offer certain sacrifices. You'd say, it's not, I mean, it's just a mess if you're unclean. So be careful. Everybody, back up. Back up. Here comes this funeral procession. Here they come. They're bringing this guy out. But what if you're on the other side? You're going, you know, this is one of the saddest days we've ever had. Because, you know, she's a great woman, but, you know, her husband died several years ago, and now her only son, he's fairly young, but he's her only son. Now he's dead. I mean, we'll try to help her, but nobody knows what's going to happen to this woman. When the Lord saw her, verse 13, he felt compassion for her. And he said to her, Do not weep. See, coming out was this widow, and there's sadness and weeping, and the life giver meets death. What's going to happen? What's going to happen when the life giver comes where there's death? You know, we know what happened to us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were spiritually dead. We came to Jesus. We trusted in Him as Savior, and the life giver gave us life. We were dead, but now we're alive. The life giver conquers death. He felt compassion for her. Let me tell you something. He knows what she's feeling. He knows everything about her. Let me tell you this. He knows everything about you. And he knows when you're sad and when you're happy and when you got hurt and when you're disappointed and when you're up and when you're down and he knows your sorrow and he knows your joy. And so you can tell other people and the Bible tells us that nobody can really know another person's joy or sorrow. We can't. We can all be happy with you and we can cry with you, but we'll never know your joy or your sorrow. But one does. Jesus Christ knows. And when you're hurting, he knows exactly how you feel. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that he is the great high priest who has come and he identifies with us. Now look what he says to this woman. He says, at the end of verse 13, do not weep. Literally in the Greek it says, stop weeping. 
Now, if you were there, you could say to him, because maybe you didn't know him, you'd say, who, who do you think you are? She's crying. Wait a minute, you don't even know what's happened to her. She doesn't have a hope. And you're coming up here telling her to quit crying? I mean, you don't. You think maybe, okay, in a couple of days it'll get better. It's not going to get better for this woman. So Jesus says, stop crying? Well, he's not going to tell her, oh, just, you know, a couple of months from now, the hurt will go away, things will be better for you. He's not telling her that. Look what he does. Verse 14. And he came up and touched the coffin. You're not supposed to touch that coffin. He came up and touched the coffin. And the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. He did two things here in this coffin. First of all, he stopped them from continuing to go. By coming up and touching the coffin, notice what it says. He came up and touched the coffin and the bearers came to a halt. You can picture they're going out. They're carrying him up on the stretcher. A body is laid out right there and they're going. And Jesus comes up and says, stop, stop just a second. He touches the, the, the stretcher and they stop. Realize by touching the coffin, he would become unclean. But see, I want you to understand something. In just a second, it's not going to be unclean. In just a second, there's not going to be any death there. It's going to be life. And many of you in this room, you've experienced the death of somebody you love. What would it have been like if Jesus would have been there that day and raised your loved one from the dead? He could do that, you know. He did it right here. And one day, because he has died and rose again and conquered death, every human being is going to be raised from the dead. Look what happened. He came up and he touched the coffin and the bearers came to halt and he said, he's going to speak. He's fixing to show his authority. He said, young man, I say to you, arise. Now, you know, Jesus had to be real careful whenever he did these sort of things. If you remember, whenever he raised Jairus' daughter, he said, little girl, get up. And when he raised Lazarus from the grave, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And when he gets right here, he says, young man, rise up. Because if he had just said, get up, everybody would have got up. Everybody would have been raised from the dead. He's the life giver. Until it's the right time, he raises individual ones, and this is what he does. And he said, young man... I say to you, arise. He is the way, the truth, and the what? The life. He is the resurrection and the life. That's who he is. He's the life giver. Look what happens. Verse 15. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. He sat up. What do you think those people did? What would you have done if you'd have been there? People were doing like this. They wouldn't have, they would have gone, what in the world? And he spoke. He didn't just go. He went, boy, time sure passes when you're dead. It goes fast. What's everybody doing? You know, he was talking. It says the dead man sat up and began to speak. Wow. Jesus has the authority. Notice the last part. We're going to come back to it in just a second. And Jesus gave him back to his Mother, I'll talk about that in just a second. He conquered death and made provision. See, from this point on, this woman is not going to say, I'm by myself. No, you got your son back. Death's not the end. 
Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again, conquered death. And all who believe in Him will have eternal life. Not only will we live forever, but we're going to live forever in bodies. He's going to raise every body from the dead. Some will live forever with Jesus Christ. It's called eternal life. That comes by faith. Some will live forever separated from Jesus Christ. That's called the second death of the lake of fire. That's people who do not believe in Jesus Christ. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, guaranteed from the Scripture, even if you die physically, you will never be separated from Jesus, and one day He will raise your body from the grave to be with Him forever. If you have not believed in Jesus Christ, when you die, one day this body will be raised, and you will be raised, but you will spend eternity separated from Jesus. It's the truth. Notice that last part of that verse. He said, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. There's a reason that that happened. I want you to think about this. number of years earlier in this same location, there was a prophet by the name of Elijah. You know who he was. He was kind of famous. He's the one that called down fire from heaven and, and did all these things and caused it not to rain and all these kind of things. Well, at one point in his life, he went to a widow's home husband was dead she had a son and the son died and by God's power Elijah raised the boy from the dead now he didn't do it like Jesus did it because Jesus said uh, sit up and he sat up but when Elijah did it, he prayed to God he laid on top of the little boy and for three times he begged God bring back life to this boy and he did and then the Bible says when the little boy rose from the dead he said he gave him back to his mother same thing. You realize those people knew the story of Elijah. They knew the story of how Elijah was a prophet of God who raised a widow's only son from the dead. What happens here? Jesus, in the same area, raises a widow's only son from the dead and gives him back to his mother. What do you think they thought? They thought, he's like Elijah. He's a great prophet of God. Notice verse 16. And fear gripped them all. And they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited His people. Two things stand out on this. They said, A great prophet has arisen, and God has visited His people. What does this mean? Well, when they say the great prophet, I think what they're saying is he's just like Elijah. Elijah was here. Elijah represented God. Elijah stopped the the rain. Elijah brought fire down from heaven. Elijah raised people from the dead. He was the prophet from God. And now they're saying a great prophet has arisen among us. By the way, they were right. In Deuteronomy 18.15, it talked about one day God would raise up the prophet, which would be the Messiah, and that's who he is. But there's a second thing they said. They said this, and the first one was the great prophet. The second one is that God has visited his people. Now, I want you to understand that when they say God has visited, it doesn't mean like God just showed up for a few minutes. To visit his people was the analogy that God sent the Savior. God sent the Messiah. It goes all the way back. If you look at Luke chapter 1, don't turn there, but Luke chapter 1 verse 68, when John the Baptist's father talked about it, he said one day God will visit his people with the Savior, with the Messiah. And so by them saying God has visited His people, they're saying this is, the, this is the Messiah from God. It's powerful. So who is Jesus? He is the Messiah, the Savior, the great prophet sent from God, the one who gives life and the one who conquers death. And He gives eternal life to all who believe. 
And for every one of us in this room, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, He gives you eternal life and physical life and it'll be forever. Look at the end result. This report concerning him went out all over Judea and all the surrounding districts. The word spread that he's raised people from the dead and that he is the Messiah. That's what the word is. Now, that didn't mean everybody believed he was the Messiah. In fact, later on, we're going to see that Jesus asked them. They're talking about him and he says, who do the people say that I am? And they say, some think you're Elijah. Some think you're John the Baptist. Some think you're one of the other prophets. None of them say they all think you're the Messiah because they didn't. A great prophet has come and God has visited his people. Some of these people, I think, believe this. I'll bet you that widow says, I think I know who he is. I think I know who he is. And I think the, the young son said, I think I know who he is. The message spread everywhere. Now, the second part, I'm going to go through it very quickly for you today. I just want you to see it. second part deals with John the Baptist. And in this section, the rest of this part dealing with John, there are three parts. We're only going to see the first part this morning. In verses 18 through 23, John's questions and Jesus' answers. Then we're going to see later on how Jesus talks about John to the crowd and then how he rebukes those who rejected John. That's what we'll see this morning. Just very quickly, 18 through 23, I want you to see this part where, and what we're going to see is John doubts and Jesus Jesus answers. Now watch, the message is going everywhere, what Jesus has done. Look at verse 18. The disciples of John reported to him all these things. Now John still has disciples. This is John the Baptist, and he has disciples. There are people who still were with him. That they, you know, He's been pointing them to Jesus. He's been telling them Jesus is the Messiah, but there are still people who follow him, and, and they believe in his ministry. Now, it says, summoning to his disciples, John sent them to the Lord. Here's the question. Why didn't John go himself? Well, the answer is John's in prison. See, if you remember, John the Baptist was about six months older than Jesus. He was born, and then at about, about 30 years old, a little past, he began a ministry. And his ministry was to announce the Messiah. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. And he told people that the Messiah was there. People all came out to him, and they said, are you the Messiah? He said, no, no, I'm not even worthy to take off his shoes. The Messiah's coming. And then when the Messiah came, John baptized Jesus and saw the Holy Spirit come down. And then John is the one who saw Jesus walk by and served the people. He said, look, there he is. There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, John was an incredible man. He also said what he thought was right. And there was a man by the name of Herod who was a king, a ruler, and he was a wicked man. And he married his brother's wife, but he divorced his wife and then married his brother's wife. And John the Baptist said it was wrong. In fact, John pointed to him and said, you have done wrong. Now, it's not a really a wise thing to point at a king and tell him that they're wrong. And so Herod put him in prison. And we all know, if you remember the story, that later on they cut John's head off while he was in prison. But at this time, John's in prison, and he's hearing all these things Jesus has done. And they come up and tell him, Jesus is doing all these things. What happens? Does John begin to doubt? Is Jesus doing what he thought John thought he would do? In fact, if you said to John, what do you think Jesus will do? Well, he's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the Messiah, the Savior, the Lamb of God. He's going to come and he's going to take over and he's going to rule the world. He's going to whip the Romans and, and, and we're all going to have great victory. That didn't happen. That's really the second coming, not the first coming. But John didn't know that. And so John's sitting in prison saying, you know, if Jesus was the Messiah, do you think maybe I'd be in prison? Maybe I wouldn't be. Why am I in prison? He's doubting. Oz Guinness, in his book, 
two minds. He describes doubt as being between two minds. He says to doubt is to waver between two minds. Part of our mind says this is true. Part of our mind says this is not true. And so we waver back and forth between two minds. What do we do when we doubt? You ever doubt the Bible? You ever say, gosh, I mean, I love the Bible, but some of this stuff in here, I don't, good gracious, I don't know. And what about the way of salvation? Is Jesus the only way? And is there life after death? You ever doubt? How do you deal with doubt? How's John going to deal with his doubts? Well, what does he do? Look what happens. Verse 19, summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the expected one or should we look for someone else? He gets two of his men and he says, Go ask Jesus this. And that's the question. Are you the expected one? Are you the coming one? Is what it literally says in the Greek. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? He's saying, Are you the Messiah? I mean, I thought you were. Are you the Messiah? Should we look for someone else? You could say this. How could John doubt? He's the one that baptized Jesus. He saw the Holy Spirit come down. He's the one that pointed Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one that said, He must increase, I must decrease. How could he doubt? You ever doubt? How could we doubt? We said, well, sometimes I, I don't know. And what do we do when we doubt? Where do we go? Well, what did John do? He went to Jesus. Where do we go? We go to the Word of God. We go to the truth. Look what happened. So he sent two of his disciples and said, Are you the expected one or should we look for somebody else? Verse 20. When the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, Are you the expected one or do we look for somebody else? Great question. You almost could see, could Jesus look at him and go, You tell John that he should know better than this. What kind of question is that? He grew, he knows me. You go back and tell him that's a stupid question. That's what Jesus did? No. Do you think sometimes if you say, Lord, I just don't know, do you think God's looking at you and going, you are so stupid, I've told you this a hundred times. He doesn't, does he? Uh Uh-uh. Look what he does. And I think it's really two things. It's what he does and what he says. Look what he does. Verse 21. At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and affliction and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. It says at that time. See, when they came up to ask him questions, he didn't talk to them right then. He said, excuse me, just a second, and he was healing people. Right in the middle of them questioning him, he's doing these things. Notice it says at that very time. When they're asking these questions, he cured people of diseases, afflictions, evil spirits. He gave sight to the blind. He does this. That takes us to the second thing. What did he do? That's what he did. What did he say? Look at the next verse. And he answered and said to them, You go back and report to John what you have seen and heard, what I did and what I said. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor of the gospel preached to them. He says, Go back and tell John what you see and what you hear. What's happening? Now, there are a lot of things Jesus did. I mean, he changed the water to wine. Why didn't Jesus tell him, go back and tell him I walked on the water? Go back and tell him I walked on the water. That should do. That should clinch it. That's not what he said. Why these things? You know why? Because if you go to Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61, in those two places, it says, when the Messiah comes, Isaiah 35 says, when the Messiah comes, the lame will walk, the blind will see, the deaf will be able to hear, and the dead will be raised. And Isaiah 61 says, when the Messiah comes, the gospel will be preached to the poor. 
He says, go back and tell John, I'm fulfilling Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. I'm doing exactly what the Messiah is supposed to do. Am I the one? Am I doing what the one's supposed to do? Then I'm the one. And then notice he says, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. The word offense means to trip. He says, blessed is the one who doesn't trip over me, who doesn't miss me. And there are a lot of people who miss him. There were the religious leaders. Let me ask you something. When Jesus came, who of all the people in Israel should have recognized the Messiah right off? It would have been the religious people. They knew the Bible. Do you realize some of the Pharisees, that they could take the book of Genesis and, and recite the first five books of the Bible without stopping? Called the Torah. They could start at Genesis 1-1 and go to the end of Deuteronomy without stopping. They knew the Bible. If anybody should have recognized the Messiah, it should be them. Did he do the signs? I guarantee you, when they saw him doing those miracles, they thought of Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. But they did not want to believe in him. They did not want to accept him. So what did they say? They said to him, we see these miracles you're doing, but you're from the devil. Beelzebub. That's who you are. And then later they come to him and say, we would like a sign from you. He'd just given them all the signs. We'd like a sign from you. And Jesus said, okay, okay, one more sign. As Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. His sign to them was the resurrection. To those who rejected him, his sign was, I'm going to die and rise again. Blessed is the one who does not Skip me, miss over me, trip over me, take offense and miss me. We have seen his authority over death and his authority over doubt. He is the coming one. He is the one who has visited his people. He is the one who died and rose again. He is the Savior of all who believe in him and they have eternal life. Let me give you some quick applications. The first one is this. Realize Jesus Christ is the Messiah and Savior. That's who he is. What did he do? He came as the Savior of the world. He did the signs. He died and rose again. He paid for sin. He conquered death. He did all of these things. Look at A. He has the authority over death. He does. He is the life giver. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. In him is life. In any hopeless situation, he is the one who, hope, who gives the hope. He gives to us the hope of eternal life by faith in Jesus. We who were dead in sin are made alive. He has authority over death. B. Go to God's Word when we doubt. There are going to be times you may doubt things. You may doubt stuff. And, and, and some people don't doubt very much. Some people do. Was John the Baptist doubting? It looks like it. Some people say, no, he wasn't. He was just trying to send his men there to give them information. But who knows? But let me tell you this. Whenever you doubt, go back to the Scripture. It is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It never comes back void. It accomplishes purpose. It is profitable for us, and it is the truth. Go to the Word. Look at the Word of God. What does it say? It is perfect. The third thing I want you to think about is trust Christ as Savior. If you have never understood this, Jesus is the life giver. He's the one who died and rose again and gives eternal life. And there may be people in this room who say, Well, Jimmy, I've never, I, if somebody said, Are you going to heaven? Are you going to live forever? I'd say, Well, I don't know. I hope so. Maybe I will. You can know for sure. You can trust in Jesus. He died for you on the cross. He paid for your sin. He rose again. And He gives you, offers to you eternal life. And simply, it comes by faith. Anyone in this room who believes that Jesus Christ will save them, will give them eternal life by the authority of the Scripture, He gives them eternal life. 
right where you're sitting, you can say, Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe He rose again. I believe He's my Savior. I'm trusting in Him and Him alone. Number two, give God all the glory. You remember what happened? When fear gripped them all, then they began to glorify God. God gets all the glory always. Even when He uses us. Even when He uses us, it's God who gets the glory. To God be the glory, great things He has done. So loved He the world that He did what? He gave us His Son. He gets all the glory. Even when He uses you and He uses me, it all goes back to Him. He gets all the glory. May we trust Jesus Christ as Savior knowing He has all authority over death and doubt and He is the one who gets all the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these truths. And Lord, we just realize that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior. He came and He died on the cross and paid for sin. He did all the miracles, all the signs. He did everything He was supposed to do. He has authority over death. He just speaks and it's over. He is the life giver and the way and the truth and the life and the resurrection and the life. Thank you, Lord. In the hopelessness of sin and death, we have the life giver, Jesus Christ, who gives us life. Lord, sometimes we doubt. Sometimes we wonder. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us the written revelation, the word of God that we can go to and that we can trust because it is the truth. Lord, I pray that if there's one person in this room who has never trusted in Jesus, that even right now they will trust in him as their Savior, that they will trust in him for eternal life. Thank you, Lord, because you get all the glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.